Hey everybody, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome to this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. My God, it has been busy. I know I talked about this last week, but we are putting on our Device Talks Boston meeting next week-ish, May 10th and 11th. This is uh, Friday, the April 29th, but May 10th and 11th, we'll be at the BCEC, the Boston Convention and Exhibition Center for our two-day Device Talks Boston. We will have presentations by Abbott, Boston Scientific, Corindus, Depew Synthes, Medtronic, Stryker. We'll have MDMA. We will have MedTech Innovator there for two days with over 25 top quality startups giving their presentations. We'll have speakers from Vapotherm and other industry leaders. We'll have a venture capital panel that cannot be beat. We'll have a huge exhibition floor. We're sharing it with the Robotics Summit and Expo and the Healthcare Robotics and Engineering Forum. This will be a hub of technology, both medical devices, robotics, surgical robotics. It's all going on, again, May 10th and 11th at the BCEC. It's going to be a fantastic day. We have over 70. I think by the time we're done, we'll have over 80 speakers. And uh, it's just going to be just a lot. (laughs) And I hope you'll join us. Go to devicetalks.com to uh, find the agenda and, of course, to register. And when you do so, please use the code DTW25. So you'll save 25% off the price of registration. Also, we're working on Device Talks Minnesota, and you need to know about that one as well. You can go to devicetalks.com, sensing a pattern here, and you can find the agenda for Device Talks Minnesota. We will have Tom Poland of BD, we will have Kevin Lobo of Stryker. In Boston, we'll have Shacey Petrovic, I should have mentioned this, of Insulet. We'll have Frank Doyle, Dean of Harvard's Engineering School. We will have an excellent panel by Stryker, moderated by Spencer Stiles. It goes on and on. So go to devicetalks.com. As I was saying with Device Talks Minnesota, please register next week. By the end of next week, our early bird rate will expire. So if you use DTW25, again, Device Talks Weekly, DTW25 on our early bird special, you'll still, our early bird rate, you'll still save 25%. So 25% off an already discounted rate is an already larger discount off the full price. So uh, no pressure, no FOMO, just giving you some friendly advice from your uh, friendly neighborhood podcaster. So uh, please do check out devicetalks.com for information about those two events. They have been an enormous amount of fun to work on. Uh, I've got a video on LinkedIn, if you can find it, sort of uh, just explaining the uh, importance of the Device Talks Boston meeting to me. And uh, you'll see an article in Medical Design and Outsourcing about how fun it will be to run an event in Minnesota as well, because I've done that before. And uh, I've always left Minnesota MedTech meetings feeling uh, enthusiastic and energized. So I really want to plug into that energy for you with both of our Device Talks meetings. So please go to both. We'd love to see you twice. Go to devicetalks.com, pick one, pick both, use the code, and uh, it be a joy to see you in person. Before we begin the podcast, I just want to let you know our keynote interview will be with Nick Spadea Anello. He is Global President of Electrophysiology at Boston Scientific reached out to him to talk about Boston Scientific's huge acquisition of Bayless. But of course, we talked about a lot more about the importance of pulse field ablation, about the importance of its direct-to-consumer campaign in uh, launching Watchmen, and of course, uh, what 
Boston Scientific will be doing with the Bayless properties and how it will be engaging Bayless employees. Uh, Nick's been through a few major acquisitions himself, so he has a real uh, a real personal perspective on uh, on how things will go. So uh, it'd be great. it was great to talk to Nick, and I know you'll enjoy that conversation. We also have a special guest in the booth, so we'll get this podcast started. But before we begin, I want to thank our sponsor of this episode, KNF. It's great to have them back on the podcast. KNF is a great producer of fluid pumps and other critical technologies. You can find out more about KNF by going to its website, knf.com. You can also listen to or hear from a few of their uh, leaders a little later in this podcast. So let's get this episode going. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? Good to be here, Tom. And man, we got somebody here today. Yeah, we got a big guest here. We got Brian Johnson, president of Mass Medic. But of course, folks listening to this podcast would know him as founder or co-founder of Mass Device and Device Talks. Hey, Brian, welcome. Gentlemen, great to see you guys. Great to see you guys. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. Yeah, I was going to ask. We, we should have probably taken down the oil painting of you we have in the green room. Was, oh, that, yeah. was that daunting to look at, you know, that, that image of yourself <laughs> sitting on that leather chair? No, it's exactly it's, ex- it's exactly as, as I as I demanded it. Uh, <laughs> well, every every digital media founder must uh, pose for their official portrait before they uh, depart. So that's right, that's right. Well, we still talk to call you the God Godfather around here. So uh, so you're 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 gone but not forgotten. Oh, thank you. That's great. <laughs> How uh, yeah, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the history of uh, of Massivize. What uh, what convinced you yeah. to uh, to get this started? Years ago, I was a newspaper reporter um, at a daily and I covered uh, business and I actually covered some of these companies that I, I deal with now um, on a membership basis. Uh, Abiomed um, and Zoll in particular are the two ones that kind of pop out, you know, show you how much I knew about it. I mean, this was back in 2005 and it was right around when Abiomed's artificial heart program failed and i remember sort of saying well that's the end of those guys um (laughs) (laughs) but um you know one of the things that that was really interesting to me at the time was i had a really great editor who kind of taught me how to um he taught me how to navigate the sec website how to like really read 10 Qs, 10 Ks, 8 Ks. You know, these are the forms obviously that uh, companies have to file with the SEC. And after I left the newspaper and I ended up doing some work for a consulting company and they sent me to the Mass Medic um, Investors Conference in 2007. Um, and, you know, it was really kind of a, a classic aha moment. Um, it was like all these great startup companies presenting. Um, it was uh, an and you could feel the energy in the room. You know, there was um, there was this technology where they where they were basically pitching it like they're like these little mini robots that would climb on the heart. This is like a program. <laughs> it never went anywhere. I think. I think it was probably out of the Visa Institute. Actually, if I think I think about it. And then I remember David Lucchino. Uh, he was pitching Sempris Biosciences, and and it just kind of, there was something about it. 
Um, I just said this, this is, this is, this is exciting. This is, you know, this is, this is where the action is. And I went home and, you know, I, I said, I'll start a website. I went and I actually just bought the domain name that night, massdevice.com. Um, yeah, my son, who's a, who's a freshman in high school was an infant. Um, and I, I I did the thing where you put the baby in one hand and you go to go daddy and, you know, (laughs) I brought the thing and, and the, the original concept was we were going to do regional coverage, right? Yeah. So we were in Mass and Minnesota and Palo Alto. And it was, you know, I had done some, some sports blogging and stuff like that, which kind of taught me how to make it, how to get an audience. Um, so I knew, I knew the mechanics that had to happen. I knew how to build an audience. Um, what I didn't have was any credibility as an entrepreneur. And I had even less credibility as a med tech guy. Um, my dad was a med, is a med tech, was a med tech salesman. And then, you know, as, as a guy who, who spent a lot of his career helping to build, um, sales forces for medical device companies, um, some amazing sales forces actually, you know, intuitive surgical and several other, you know, brand name companies. So I, I mean, I was around these guys. I sort of had, it was sort of, but I never wanted to be in the med tech industry. Mm-hmm. I guess it was in my blood. And, you know, the thing that, it's it's funny how it is such an aha moment. And it's 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 the kind of the funny part too, obviously, is that I ended up here at Mass Medic, you know, sort of full circle. Right. Um, so, you know, every time I do a meeting, I'm like, well, maybe there's another me in there. So, you know, hopefully, uh hopefully there are. Hopefully there are much better. That's great. I recall you you got um I mean you really got mass device going in in 2008 which as i recall that was like one of the best years ever to really start a company it was 2008 so we launched so i had this i i got the idea in 07 and and i and i uh talked i went to some friends that i went to grad school with and who i'd worked with and sort of tried to get them to join me i, I went to grad school with brad periello um yeah and uh, we were uh, we were buddies, and you know we were watching the football game and barbecue. And I was like, "Come on, this is real. This is gonna work. This is gonna work." And he was skeptical, and you know, I just said, "Just go like look up the industry and think about you know this." And and then you know we spent a lot of time. I mean, we we it took us fifteen months to get it off the ground, and you know we we were pitching and we tried to raise money, and we like I was telling somebody today, I was like, we were not only we were in the wrong business at the wrong time, right? Ad supported media during the the great recession. We picked, we picked med tech rather than biotech. So like even the people who would concede that maybe we weren't total idiots. um, (laughs) be Like you you picked the wrong industry. Nobody cares about medical devices. They care about biotech. And, you know, and the, the thing I could not admit to them was like, I just don't, I, I don't, how do you make assays and molecules sexy? And I, I didn't yeah. know how to do it. And yeah. I didn't, I didn't understand it. And every time I talked to pharma and biotech, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't conceptualize the the narrative because I couldn't, it reminded me of covering um, the energy industry, mm-hmm. right? You know, like I remember when right, the, yeah. uh, the NSTAR guys would come, they'd do a, like a road show to the newspaper and we talk about the grid and I just, right. I couldn't, I couldn't find the story because I was always struggling with the language, but devices were tangible and, um, and they would also have this great, the thing that still I love is they have this great backstory. Pretty much every entrepreneur starts this out of a purpose. And, you know, I think 
narratively med device is just was just it was just there for me and i was so excited and um you know i i can't tell you how many times over the years that i thought we were failing (laughs) 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 i mean i probably thought we were in on death's door uh for like eight of the nine years I ran the thing. And uh, uh, it was only, it's only sort of now when I'm separated that I can look and feel really excited and proud of the progress. And it's, um, it's humbling. It's incredible. And, you know, kudos to you guys. You guys have made it your own and I, I love what you're doing with it. That's great. No, thanks. I feel like I'm talking into a mirror here too, because a lot of your points are, are things I felt. I've seen entrepreneurs start things. I wanted to start things, but I never had pulled the trigger. Uh, and just also that you're, your view of dev- devices versus biotech. I agree with you. Like small molecule, I can never really understand what that even means. Like a like robot small, operating right? on somebody's body. I mean, that's that's ex- that's that sounds exciting. It's a robot. It's operating somebody's body. This yeah, device is keeping know, somebody's heart running. You know, this. Uh, yeah, or yeah. it's a it's a tube and a vessel or thing. It's just something you can get your head around. But uh, we're we're working on device talks, Boston, and and I wrote something for the uh, the letter in the program about growing up in Boston. I grew up in Boston, and not really the the Unlike in Minnesota or the West Coast, even like the, the medical device industry, and you're working on this at Massmedic, and we'll talk about that a little later. I don't, you don't hear about it at barbecues. If you say I work at a at, at Boston Scientific, people will go like, oh, you know, like you would if you work at Google or Amazon. Did you do you get that sense as well? Am I being overly defensive? As Jim Hammer and the managing di- uh, editor of MDO said, you sound a little defensive in your letter, Tom. And I said, well, I'm from Boston. Of course, I sound defensive. Like we're always defensive. It's, what do you want me to sound nice about it? No, I'm defensive. So do you agree? Am I being defensive or? Uh, Are you asking another Boston guy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you said I'm defensive? What are you talking about? <laughs> You're defensive. I'm not defensive. I, well, first of all, I don't think you sound defensive. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I, 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 I always have to check myself on this, right? Because I think there is a high degree of understanding of medical devices. Um, I... I don't think there's a high degree of awareness of how much you engage with yep. them as an everyday person. I don't think there's a high awareness of the companies that make medical devices. I think there is a general awareness of the biotech world in the sort of layman's world because it's, but to them, it's an umbrella term for everything we do, right? Life sciences, what we talk about here a lot in Massachusetts, because it's it's the three legs of the stool, biotech, pharma, and medtech. Um, you know, uh, but not only is this, an, is this you know, sort of, a, a, you know, definitely a, a, a defensiveness is definitely sort of a natural state for device people. I mean, I, 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 I think, doubly blessed. Great. <laughs> And Bostonians, but you know, I, I think there is a, a huge desire in medtech, and I, I it fuels me because it's really I, I've sort of discovered that I guess this is the thing that I'm most and it most makes me so excited all the time is my job is really to make sure that everybody understands how incredible this sector is, and I think there are, we're in a different position than we were before COVID um, in in understanding of this industry but this is still an industry that is you know it's 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 still a little widgety and it's uh in the way it kind of talks about itself it doesn't have the same um it doesn't have the same natural storytelling of pharma and um biotech but i think that's because frankly 
the industry is 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 engineers and it's hardware mm. and it's people are excited by the hardware and and it's not that much different than sort of the people who made computers versus sort of the silicon valley tech people right i mean they the tech people are really good at at, at um, mythologizing and, and talking about and, and and storytelling and and talking about how their products are going to change the world and frankly they all they, it's, they start to sound very trite when they talk about it because yeah. if you if you, if you compare what Earl Bakken did to Elon Musk I mean I still would probably say Earl Bakken is a more important person in the history of the world right yep. um, you know if you take so so we yeah. have to like think about this in terms of storytelling narrative and the thing that I kind of been driving at recently is this idea of minimally invasive surgery. And, you know, we have a language problem in med tech where we, we anesthetize the language and we dull it and we make it boring. Now, minimally invasive surgery is really boring in terms of <laughs> what you say, like, oh, okay, it's minimally invasive. It doesn't, what does it mean? Well, it means that we have been able to change, you know, cutting people wide open you know, right, yeah. to cure them to like taking this down to, you know, almost nano scale where now you can change a heart valve out with a wire. Yeah. And, uh, you know, or you can, you can actually, at this point, you can, we're at the point now with, with med tech where we can start to put something into your body through, you know, uh, through a catheter, thread it up in your brain. You can see inside the vasculature of the brain this stuff is outer space stuff. And it's like, the thing that we haven't done in med tech is we, we didn't, you know, we didn't, I don't think we, we, the poets haven't sort of written enough about it. Right. I mean, so I, I, I think our generation of people who are responsible for telling this story, our story is to add some music to this, to this industry. Um, but also this industry is changing and it's it's changing fast. I don't. I think when we start, we, yeah. we all started. We all, we've all been covering this industry for years. You guys yeah. were the other bylines I was looking at, you know, in 2010, 2011, right? I mean, you know, it'd be like, oh damn it, what's New Marker doing over there? Selenian is reports. I used to read you guys' byline all the time, and I, I, I do think our job yeah. is to make sure that we 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 continuously stay um, amazed and impressed. And um, you know, I, I certainly talk about it at barbecues, and I certainly try to make it exciting. And I think it's important too, because it's incredible stuff. I mean, it's changing the world. I agree. I'm still excited about stories. When someone tells me about a cool company, I still get like, yeah. that's awesome. Like that they're able to do that. So I still get that excitement. And I think you've, you've said it extremely well about putting music to this. I think it's up to us to sort of yeah, minimally invasive. It should be microsurgery or it should be something like just something that really captures it. And I think maybe it's the lack of interaction between pa- direct interaction between patient and devices. I think as we get moving with diabetes, where we're seeing a lot more interaction between those devices and the patients, and they actually have control over the devices, then people are starting to say like, wow, this thing's amazing. Hey, everyone, Tom here. It's my pleasure to bring in our episode's sponsor, KNF. I'm here with Dave Vanderbeck, product group manager at KNF. Dave, tell us about KNF. KNF is a designer and manufacturer of diaphragm and piston pumps for gases and liquids. We serve the OEM, laboratory, and process industries, and our markets include medical primarily, 
but we are also heavily involved into environmental, analytical instruments, cleaning and disinfection, printing, and many more. How would I describe KNF? Well, basically, we are a large, engineering-driven, family-owned company. KNF is Germany and Switzerland-based, with 17 locations and five production sites, including our USA manufacturing facility that handles sales, most manufacturing and service for North America. But I have to say that engineering is really at the core of our design philosophy. This is what separates us from other pump manufacturers is our passion to customize our pumps design so that we could optimize the customer's system. We do this by establishing a close collaboration with our customers so that we may learn what pump features will allow them to design a system that will meet all of their engineering and marketing department's goals. Then we make use of our 75 plus years of experience and our modular designs to custom tailor the pump to the application. And in fact, we've been doing this process for so many years that we've actually refined the design and modification process to the point that we can do it efficiently and without adding cost for one piece or thousands. And then, which is important to medical as well as other fields, we can freeze the bill of materials for these customized designs that are then proprietary to the customer. So in the end, we achieve success by contributing to making the customer's system a success. That's great, Dave. We'll hear a little more from KNF a little later in the podcast. If you want to find out some more information, go to knf.com. Well, let's let's roll yeah. into uh, Chris's new markers, newsmakers, and then a little oh. later we'll talk about uh, about Massmedic and what you, you're doing over there. So, Chris, why don't you uh, the new markers, you... newsmakers, roll us into Do number it. five. All right, number five on the list this week. We've got uh, Alcon, uh, you know, presenting a, a positive study about its. Uh, you know, smart cataract, uh, you know, uh, cloud enabled uh, software that's, you know, kind of like really like streamlining, you know, everything around uh, cataract surgeries. And just basically the uh, the study was showing that this was like, you know, you know, saving a lot of time, uh, you know, when it, when it came to cataract uh, surgeries. So just really interesting. You know, it's, it's interesting, too, because um, I mean, just lately, like the whole ophthalmological space, I mean, it's actually we're getting a lot of interest about it on on mass device you know and it just seems you know we talk about like surgical robotics and diabetes you know those are exciting spaces but um you know there, there's actually some you know really cool stuff now going on with you know treatments for the for the eye i mean like i'm, I'm also thinking about like j and j had their uh you know uh in new contact lenses the, mm-hmm. the loot antihistamines i mean that that that's that's really helpful so um so yeah it'll be neat yeah i worked on a, a podcast and a meetings for ophthalmology for a few years and it's it's really like the one specialty where devices and pharma really do form a single unit ophthalmology like there's really just it's a really tight community a lot of the doctors are using the same sort of procedures or drugs and uh, there's a, they're really astounding astounding innovation coming out of that field so this is great and as someone who's 52 going on 53. Every time I see advances in treating cataracts and stuff, I'm like, yes, I hope you're ready for me when I get older. So yeah, it's an interesting, it's a great space. Um, you know, it's, it's a unique space. Uh, 
um, I don't, I, sort of eye insurance is kind of, nobody really has a great handle on their eye insurance, although I mm-hmm. think we all have some sort of basic eye exam covered. Um, so I, you know, it's, it's one of these, it's kind of like dentistry in, in a lot of respects, but uh, I, I, the thing that I find really fascinating is that um, the eye, scan, scanning of your eye and all the, the, the other conditions you can discover through the eye. I mean, um, we're just getting started on that. And, you know, you, you, if you think about, I grew up, I first got glasses when I was a little, little kid. So, you know, that eye doctor's office hasn't changed that much, frankly. <laughs> so, you know, that thing's going to get all that stuff in that office is going to get stuck into like one, like, you know, small thing too. So, um, you know, there's a lot of really interesting, interesting progress being made. And I, I, I like that market a lot. It's really exciting. All right, Chris, why don't we roll into number four? Well, number four on the list, uh, this is uh, some more, some tough news. We've got uh, like uh, Phillips disclosing that the uh, Department of Justice has uh, subpoenaed them for uh, information around their uh, massive recall of respironics, respiratory uh, devices. I mean, this this all, I mean, the the really big major recall in that space involves, um, you know, problems with uh, deteriorating sound abatement foam and the devices, but other stuff has cropped up. And uh, now it, uh, it looks like the uh, Justice Department is, uh, you know, wants to, uh, you know, find out more about, you know, how uh, Phillips was handling this. Brian, I don't know if you want to speak to this directly. Brian is zipping <laughs> but, his lips right now. But I'm just curious as to, you know, how, how is MedTech sort of interacting with government agencies? You're, you're spending a lot of your time in policy. And do you feel like there's a, what's the relationship between the medical device industry and government agencies that either regulate them or oversee them in some regards, like the DOJ, which you don't see a lot of the DOJ involved with, with this sort of stuff? Yeah, you know, I don't do a lot with the DOJ. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's okay, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, more power yeah. to them and uh, Phillips yeah. is a wonderful company but um yeah. you know i think uh it, you know it's a, it's this is obviously a federally regulated industry um and uh you know i think um th- i was amazed by how much more um you know, I have much more engagement I do with uh, lawmakers and, pol- and policymakers on, on this side. Um, not so much on the recall, recall things. I mean, we don't really yeah. do a lot of, uh, there's not really a lot of policy stuff going on in the recall end of it. Really more, more of it's on, um, you know, obviously the, the user fee negotiations were a little bit uh, rockier this year than, uh, than in past times. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of very ambitious stuff at the FDA um, going on. But, you know, I think, yeah. I, 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 you know, I think most of the market dynamics are the same. Um, but, um, you know, I just think it's important that, that uh, when people read these stories, realize, you know, the FDA requires, you know, cradle to grave oversight of your products and uh, companies, I, you know, recalls do not make up a large percentage of, 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 of uh, actions that happen with medical devices. But I mean, the, the policy discussions is a, is a deep one and an interesting one. I don't know. We may never get to story number three. <laughs> yeah. But I just had a curiosity. I mean, how, how ambitious do you think FDA is now that they have Califf in charge? In fact, you got like somebody who ran the place before and he's back in and, you know, he might, you might even like find one of his old, you know, pieces of like office knickknacks in a drawer somewhere or whatever, you know, like. Uh, when I was first covering medical devices, we had uh, Peggy Hamburg was, uh, was head of the agency and there was talk of eliminating the 510K program. And well, there wasn't talk. There was the Institute of Medicine report that came out that the FDA yeah. sort of said, 
no, 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 we're not doing that. Uh, I, I, you know, I think there are, uh, Dr. Sharon has some very ambitious programs. I think, you know, total product lifecycle um, is, 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 is a really, you know, sort of understanding the product as it's in the market is, is going to continue, they're going to continue to really drive that. Um, you know, I just, I, I think the push and the pull with the user fee agreements were, you know, how many new pro- new programs did FDA want to start, you know, versus yeah. versus sort of what industry feels is their main priority, which is making sure that uh, all the players understand a predictable timeline. You know, I think, yeah, um, and that that you're not sitting in, uh, you know, endless queues and sort of dying a slow death while you're waiting. Um, you know, I. The programs that I think are the most important to the industry, frankly, are, um, you know, we had the MSIT program was was this with the breakthrough and MSIT were a really interesting moment there where we, where finally people were trying to put together some sort of help for innovators, right, and to say like, who's going to decide if a device is actually novel and um, you know, worth being on the market? Is it the FDA or CMS? And I think the sad part about the MSIT program dying the way it did, even though it has been reborn into another program um, that right now is kind of in the house, kind of percolating, but it's going to take some time. Um, You know, the sad part was like, at least we were trying to get some clarity around there. You know, the push and the pull of you get FDA clearance or a PMA and then, oh, you got to go to climb the second mountain with. I could tell there was a lot of excitement around this idea. Like, wow, you get a breakthrough device designation. Okay, great. You're going to get CMS coverage. I mean, that, that was a huge deal. And to see that go away, um, at least for now was, um, was, was tough. Well, it's not, Um, it's not dead forever. Um, It's not. CMS definitely though. I mean, it was a, it was a Trump administration policy that the Biden. You're making a chocolate covered pill together. It's not totally dead. (laughs) I have Monty Python on my head. I'm not dead yet. (laughs) I still think there's a high degree of um, interest in solving this problem. MSIT, you know, there was a feeling on the Medicare side that, you know, there was, it was just, there was too many questions to try and implement it as policy. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I think everybody though, who listens to this, who wants MSIT should call their congressman and say, we want, yeah. <laughs> we want the program. <laughs> right. I mean, um, the other stuff I think that's interesting too, just to kind of keep your eye on down the line is the SBIR program needs to be reauthorized. Oh, wow. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, yes. <laughs> and uh, ranking, uh, you know, there's some members of the committee that do that, that are, um, you know, professional skeptics. Wow. Uh, Sen- Senator Paul, uh, Rand Paul being a, a major skeptic of the SBIR program. So right now we are uh, as sort of collective advocacy bodies trying to get um, companies to uh, sign on to uh, support the SBIR reauthorization. I think- How often does that need to be reauthorized? Yeah. I believe it's every five oh, years. Okay. All right. All right. So, so it's happened recently, but but yeah, the, the climate has certainly changed a bit. All right, Chris Newmarker, what is number three on the Newmarker's Newsmakers? Well, number three on the list, we've got uh, Abbott announcing the uh, U.S. launch of their uh, Amplatzer steerable 
delivery sheath that uh, goes with their uh, amulet uh, stroke prevention device. Uh, so, you know, just uh, just a much better uh, delivery, just an improved delivery system for this uh, device, which, uh, you know, you know, it seems like it could be like a uh, like help, uh, you know, reduce use of uh, blood thinning, you know, medication for people with AFEB. So so that's that's really good news. And, and actually, like Abbott had some other big uh, news out this week with, uh, you know, launching an upgraded uh digital health app for uh, neurostimulation. So just, you know, a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff coming out of app these days. Yeah. That stroke market is just, it's just, it's an incredible market. Um, Because I mean, I don't know how long after you've had a stroke, you need to get a surgical intervention. I think it's pretty soon, like like 90 minutes. Like, yeah, really fast. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And and that's one area where uh, telemedicine, remote surgery um, is, it's all about the stroke. So one out of five people are going to have a stroke. So, I mean, you got it. Yeah. And we could hopefully, uh, you know, like reduce that, you know, if we could like catch more undiagnosed AFibs. So, I mean, that's, that's really like the big, uh, the big hope here, you know, like, uh, you know, that that's a really exciting space too. I mean, all those companies like, uh, iRhythm and, you know, Barty DX and LiveCore and such, you know, like instead of them strapping a holder monitor onto you, you know, you can just go home with a nice, nice little monitor and figure out what's going on. Yeah, un- uncontrolled AFib is a, is a huge predictor of stroke. So it's a, that's a market you're just going to see continuous uh, investment in and, and uh, find the AFib, you know, now we, now we got devices, a device we can use to help, you know, prevent the AFib from causing a stroke. And yeah. And as he said, like, yeah, like it, get stuff that uh, is able to get treatment to you faster if you have the stroke. So you don't, uh, you know, so, you know, it doesn't, you know, kill you or, you know, like, you know, you know, seriously impair the rest of your life. So yeah, we're really lucky to where we live, uh, you know, Chris, you being in Minneapolis and, and Tom and I being in the Boston area, you know, there's a comprehensive stroke care clinic within at almost every major hospital in the area, but you know, you yeah. go out to rural America and some places where you got a, hour two hour drive or maybe even in some states they don't actually have a single comprehensive stroke care clinic um you know that that's those that is why you see so much investment in this space yeah you know when people like avoiding living in rural areas because they're they're afraid of getting medical care when they're older i mean you know it's there it can be uh, it can be good life out there so horrendous uh, robotics vascular robotics is a really cool uh solution locally that's um you know really deep into that stroke space so yeah that's like some exciting work going over I there feel like I, should be, I should be yeah, firing cool. off the, the plug alert because corindus and abbott will both be at device talks boston which of course is happening may 10th and 11th at the boston convention and exchange center exist yeah bcec we'll just say keep saying it exchange center and it's not that <laughs> exhibition center the convention center the convention yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so all awesome. right all right, Chris, what is number two on the New Markers Newsmakers? Well, number two on the list, we have uh, GE Healthcare and Medtronic are uh, collaborating in the uh, outpatient care space. I mean, they're, they're, they're forging this new partnership where uh, GE Healthcare is going to be you know, providing ambulatory surgery centers with uh, consultative planning, construction, suite of equipment, digital solution services, and the Medtronic is going to come in with their whole portfolio of uh, you know, products. So, I mean you know, a big, big partnership and a really fast growing, you know, space. And, you know, it, it makes me wonder too, like, you know, could this be ahead of where of, you know, the next, you know, really big, you know, merger we're going to see, but, you know, at the same, same time, you know, we, we've also, you know, seen the Biden administration, you know, you know, 
showing a lot more concern about you know about you know these types of like you know like of you know big mergers. So you know maybe maybe a partnership like this is enough. But yeah, very exciting. That is exciting. Are you speculating that Medtronic uh, is going to buy GE? <laughs> well, not GE, but you know, I mean, I mean, GE Healthcare is you know spinning off as an independent company. So, I don't know. Right. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, we had we had four eyebrows go up here on the, on the old Zoom. Yeah. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Wow! Get, on, get him on Kramer. Do we have a little bell here? Yeah, that's a <laughs> that's right. Jeff Martha just drove off the road after hearing this. One. <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's move let's roll on to number one you, you definitely have to pay attention when you have like two of the largest med tech companies around saying hey we're partnering to sell to places i mean that's uh don't keep an eye on it all right chris newmarket let's finish it off what's number one on the new markers newsmakers all right number one on the list uh we've got uh i i think i'm gonna pronounce this right acutest medical you got it I got it. All right. They're selling their uh, left heart access portfolio to Medtronic at a, at a $50 million deal. And, you know, one of the hot spaces is, um, you know, is, um, you know, cardiac ablation. Um, gee, you know, where could we find out more about cardiac ablation? Like maybe there's or there's this event called Device Talks Boston or there's going to there's going to be some kind of panel there about that. Right? It you know? rings a bell, Chris. It rings Something a bell like that. It's going to yeah. be a panel with uh, with folks Somebody from Med- Medtronic, right? <laughs> yep, Medtronic, Boston Scientific and Acutus will be on the panel and it'll be moderated by the uh, world famous journalist. What's the name again? Oh, I think you're having me do that. Yes. 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 No, you are, you stepped that. up to do that. I'm not having you <laughs> I, do it. You're right, excited. I, to do I was it. like, this is exciting. <laughs> you know what? I want to, it's an exciting space. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to moderate that panel. So yeah, we'll, we'll be able to find out more about, you know, what was behind, I, I think we'll find out more about what was behind this deal and, you know, what's going on in the space. But I mean, obviously if you're doing cardiac ablation, you need more access, um, you know, Boston Scientific uh, recently closed on a 1.75 billion dollar acquisition to Bayless Medical um, to get, uh, you know, you know, access to its advanced transeptal puncture platform. So, um, you know, this is, you know, it's, yeah, this says something Medtronic's like saying, hey, you know, we, you know, we need to get more technology. We're going to spend, you know, 50 million to acquire some of this, you know, gosh, it's 50 million, you know, from, uh, from Acutus. Um, and, you know, on, on Acutus' side, you know, this, uh, this at least, you know, analysts reporting out this will keep them, uh, you know, you know, allow them to keep their cash balance going until early 2024. I mean, this technology was like a contributor to their revenue, but Medtronic needed the technology. Acutus needed some more cash, you know, to, to get to its next spot. Um, you know, like hopefully, uh, hopefully this works out for both companies. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll have uh, Nick Spadia Anello from Boston Scientific up on the podcast in just a few minutes. We actually talked with him about the Bayless acquisition uh, and uh, we did try to get an analyst on the podcast to talk about uh, whether this was sort of a response from Medtronic. I wasn't able to get anyone on, but I did email with someone who said, yeah, it's clearly, you know, like a counter to the Bayless acquisition that uh, left ventricular access is just an important part of this. So, uh, so it'll be interesting to see where this space comes up and hopefully you'll be able to, uh, to unearth all the details at Device Talks Boston, Chris Newmarker. I've got high hopes for you. It'll be an exciting panel. I'm looking forward to it. Well, before we roll into that interview, Brian, I'm just, uh, we didn't really get to talk about Mass Medic itself. We talked about the work you're doing there, but uh, tell us a bit about the organization and, uh, and what your objectives are, what you're hoping to do. 
Well, it's a great organization, Tom. It's, uh, you know, it's been around since 1996. So a lot of work was already done when I got here to establish this organization as the voice of the industry locally. It's a, it's a trade association. So the business model is kind of interesting. So it's a membership model and, you know, um, but it's also, uh, it's a convener, it's an event creator, it's uh, an advocacy organization, it's a connector, connective tool. Um, what we've tried to do is first uh, grow it, you know, headcount wise. So we, when I got here, there was two people and now there's, I have uh, six people working for us. Um, great, great people. Um, they're just super engaged and, and very mission driven, which I love. Um, we uh, relaunched the Ignite um, virtual accelerator a couple of years ago. So we've, we've been taken 50 companies through uh, a curriculum we built on how to start a med tech company. Those companies, uh, 40 something are still in business, which is great. Um, and they're very early stage and they raised a hundred, those companies have raised a hundred million bucks in the past two years. So we're either really good at picking companies that are going to, or we're pretty decent at this part. But really what I'm trying to do with Mathematic is grow it into uh, an association that helps make some of these connections that we talk about all the time, right? I mean, my theory is we're in... We're in a period of sort of great evolution of medical technology and we're crossing over into sort of that that quantified patient we talked about years ago, right? The, remember when, um, you know, Google was toe, toe dipping in here and there was talk about, oh, I wanted to know all about their health and it was like only extreme athletes were doing it. Well, guess what? One pandemic later, we're all focused on what's happening inside of our bodies and now um the only people who knew how to perform basic diagnostic tests on themselves were like people with chronic diseases, but now we all can run a pretty simple lab test. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> now we all understand now what our blood oxygen level means. And we're all talking, I mean, like yeah. I, to me, when I saw uh, uh, an FDA, yes, I, I did not have a pulse oximeter in my house before 2020. When I saw the uh, advisory committee meeting for uh, the uh, vaccine of being broadcast live on, um, CNBC or whatever it was, I was, you know, just, I said, okay, this is what we've been talking about forever, right? You know, your health is your wealth, right? And our, the world is realizing that. And so this next evolution for mass medic is to connect some of these dots between these people that are making medical technology and connect them to um, our broader uh, life experience. So we, we, we we're trying to create um, a larger community that's more inclusive um, on every level. Um, we're trying to get more people excited by this industry and we're trying to spread the uh, spread the, the the wealth of the industry to everybody, and we really are just so laser focused on making sure that when you Massachusetts and New England people understand that this industry is here, it's a viable career path. It's touching your life. It's going to continue to be uh, a huge part of your life. So uh, a lot of fun stuff. But, uh, mostly every day, we just try to help make sure that people in this industry get a little more successful and, you know, make sure they know about great events like device talk. You know, the med tech conference is coming here in October um, from AdvaMed and we hope that uh, we're excited to have them into town. And, you know, we're still very local. We're very focused on Massachusetts and new England, but you know, what we can do is be an incubator for awesome ideas. And uh, we, we, we're, we're, we're excited by it. And Chris, we have our, we have our eyes solely straight on medical alley. So you tell you tell my, you tell my friends over there, we're coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like there's a little competition, a little regional competition. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs>
I love what they do at Medical Alley. They're 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 an inspiration for us. So we love what they're doing, and we want to we want to we want to make sure they hear us. All right, now we're going to begin our interview with Nick Spadea Anello of Boston Scientific. But first, I wanted to bring in our sponsor, KNF. I am speaking with Dave Howard, Business Development Manager at KNF. Dave, I know KNF has been busy lately. What's new? What can you talk about? Thanks a lot, Tom. Um, well, as you've already heard, you know KNF is a manufacturer of both liquid and gas diaphragm and piston pumps that have been used in many applications around the world. Our main focus here in the U.S., though, has been with medical devices and especially diagnostic systems. Recently, we have noticed an increased drive for fluidic systems that reduce or completely remove the existence of pulsation, which is typically generated by pumps within the circuit. So we have actually been really hard at work to develop an entirely new line of what we call smooth flow products. Pulsation is nearly impossible to avoid with many pump technologies. Half the time the pump is drawing liquid in and the other half of the time it's pushing liquid out. So no matter how fast you run the pump, you still have this stop and start motion of the liquid, which basically leads to what we feel and hear in tubing when it's shaking and vibrating around. So at times, uh, the pressure fluctuations generated by the pulsation can lead to all types of problems. It can cause cavitation and air bubbles in the media. Uh, The vibrating tubing itself can be felt throughout the system, which could impact the accuracy of analytical devices and so forth. Uh, Tubing in the system actually ends up wearing quicker. And over time, this could lead to sporadic leakages. And also, you have this inconsistent performance basically depending on what types of restrictions you have in the lines. So KNF has essentially fixed this problem with this new line of smooth flow and low pulse products. We call them our FP product line, and we can accommodate flow rates as low as just a few milliliters per minute, all the way up to 12 liters per minute, and uh, operating pressures up to six bar. So with all of the changes that went into the design and the development of these products, we're actually now seeing a more efficient pump. And this is both from a size standpoint, as well as regarding power consumption. Vibration is, of course, minimized. Stress on tubing is now reduced. And there's much less chance of cavitation. And with these lower peak-to-peak pulsation fluctuations, we're actually expecting much longer-lasting pumps uh, with much less stress on the motor or bearings and so forth. So really, we're just really excited to get more of these pumps into these medical device industry. And we're already seeing some really positive feedback from our customers. Well, thanks again to KNF for sponsoring this podcast. Thanks to Dave Howard and Dave Vanderbeck of KNF for sharing their thoughts. If you want to find out more information, you can go to knf.com. You can also send an email to Dave Howard. He is at dave.howard at knf.com. Well, Nick Spadea Anello, welcome to the podcast. Uh, well, thanks, Tom. I'm excited to be here for you and your listeners and looking forward to a meaningful uh, discussion. You've got, a, you've got a great deal to talk about. The, the Bayless acquisition was certainly a, a big one and a fascinating one. And, and, I, and I can't wait to learn how it fits into your electrophysiology portfolio. But before we get into the, the business at hand, I'd love to understand how you uh, found your way into the, the medtech industry. What was your first job at medtech? You know, it was with Johnson & Johnson, Ethicon's, uh, Ethicon Endosurgery. It was a really great company because we were pioneering new procedures with laparoscopy and endoscopy in general. And, uh, and JJ was a great start for me because it provided me the opportunity to really understand how to speak the language of medicine coming out of a business school and university. It was a really great opportunity to work with a really passionate and influential group of people. And 
you know, J&J really taught you the importance of just the, the credo and, and how patients really are at the, the forefront of everything. And it was just really a, a good opportunity for me to learn how to get into the med device space uh, nearly 30 years ago. It's been a great entryway for all the other things I've, I've been able to do. Were you always steering toward a, a career in med tech or did it just happen that you found a, a great job with a great company? Yeah, well, you know, for me, I think when you get out of school, you're looking for a meaningful purpose. And um, I had the opportunity, I was going to get into banking. I was interviewed by J&J. They were looking to try to do something different with a group of people coming out of business school. And looking at really all how all things start with patients and trying to extend their lives and have them live a longer, better life, uh, that self-actualization coupled with the, the, the business aspects of things in, in healthcare, just the challenges of that, and dealing with uh, people that were highly educated, physicians, engineers, to try to really solve problems to, to make things a lot better, that inspired me. And that's what really got me into the space and you know, excites me to this day because there's like, you never arrive mentality. You're always learning no matter what role you play at the highest level, there's always a learning opportunity and the advancement of meaningful innovation in the medical device space. That's interesting about J&J's program. So they were looking to bring in business majors and, and sort of folks with a business understanding. I, I talked to someone else recently on the podcast, and I think around this time, Medtronic was, had brought in its first MBAs, and they were sort of bringing in their, their business acumen as well. Was that just sort of a thing that was happening across industry at the time? Well, 30 years ago, it was something new that J&J, I think, was pursuing. And for me, I knew it was a great company. It was a completely different shift in terms of what I was going to do. I, you know, getting into finance uh, was really something I was focused on. But quite frankly, when I went for the interview and I did a field ride and watched uh, the, the representative really just walk a physician through a procedure, it was incredibly inspirational. I mean, here you're, you're talking to someone who's got decades of education and experience uh, in working with patients and and you walking through technically how to how to use a new device was something that was just you know a breakthrough opportunity that I thought was going to be a new challenge to drive inspiration every day and, and learn the business end of things to see how they would contract with these big health systems at times really what drove that that opportunity. Yeah, that's really eye-opening. I think when you first engage with the healthcare system in that way and learn how it it operates. And I'm sure you've seen things that I haven't seen, but you don't know going in exactly uh just how decisions are made, how, how products are bought and sold, and how even patients are treated. I'm sure it was a, a really educational experience. How did you come to join Boston Scientific? Well, you know, if I looked at my career, it's really in three phases. So I started with J&J, and I think that taught me how to transition into med device uh, and learn how to be a really good representative and speak the language of medicine and get clinically and technically oriented. Then in the late 90s, Guidant Corporation was recruiting some folks to bring over to, to launch some other pioneering therapies, cardiac resynchronization therapy. That's where I think I learned more about how to be a, a strong business professional in that phase of my career. And I did a number of uh, various commercial leadership roles, and we drove uh, you know, some really considerable adoption in that new therapy. And then, you know, call it the current phase of my career, the last 15 years, uh, I've been with Boston Scientific because Boston acquired Guidant. And that's where I've learned more about just how to be a high-level leader in the med device space. So each one of those different opportunities has allowed me to, to grow professionally at different stages. It's been a great ride. And quite frankly, I, when I look back, I'm just really thankful for all the people 
that I've been able to work with that really has allowed me to grow and be able to give back to the industry and to patients and everything we do in this space. We've had guiding people on before, of course, and uh, I always jokingly try to get them to remember something uh, ill about the experience because everyone I've talked to about guidance walks away saying it was a, a tremendous experience, a tremendous learning experience. So what was it about guidance that I think that really leaves people feeling so so positive about the time spent there? Well, I think the group did a really good job. That organization really focused on hiring business professionals that had experience in the, the medical device industry that truly could drive some significant growth, you know, whether it was in the uh, stent marketplace or the uh, cardiac rhythm management marketplace. Both of those businesses were growing and prospering uh, during that era of the call it 2000 to 2010. And um, the people they had were, or that recruiting uh, process was recruit the absolute best people that could really drive and grow adoption of these therapies, uh, these new innovative therapies, breakthrough therapies. You know, and I think you're only as good as the people that you work with and that drive you to be better. And there was just a a lot of excellent uh, professionals there that made you have to perform at a much higher level. And that's where I think I really transitioned from that medical, call it clinical technical background with J&J Ethicon Endosurgery to being a high level medical device business professional at Guidon Corporation. And of course, that acquisition was was uh, one of the larger ones in, in medtech. Uh, what kind of experience is, is that going through an acquisition like that? And, and we're going to talk about the acquisition of Bayless in a little bit. I'm just curious, what uh, lessons do you walk away from being a, a part of a company that is acquired? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, you, you, you have to look at your success and then you got a new group of people that come in that have a different, you know, purchasing power, different footprint bigger capacity or capabilities. And you've got to believe in the leaders they bring in. And you get this frontline leadership that comes in from any company that's acquiring another company. And you've got to believe in their new vision. And can what you've already done, which has been great, a great experience, can it be better? And uh, I think, you know, the trust at that point, we had Hank Cushman, who was one of the individuals that came in and spoke to us, he was believable. And, you know, I, I followed his vision and it was a great transition over to Boston Scientific. And I'm just really excited because that's where I learned how to truly be a high level leader and build, call it that trust. So when we make acquisitions, I just, I realized the importance of when I go and speak to a new company, such as a Bayless, that I was sitting in their seat one day and anything's possible that you know you could come over here and you could be in my role as you look at in integrating or acquiring another company to make that journey even bigger and better for the company and, and where it stands organizationally at that time. So it's really driving belief in the new vision and that it can be even better. Take something that's good and make it even better uh, once an acquisition takes place. Well, let's talk about your, your role now. What is uh, What part of Boston Scientific's portfolio do you oversee? Because you have a couple of critical areas that you're working with. Yeah, so I'm currently the president of our electrophysiology business as of the last five months. And you know, the last several years, I've been uh, leading as the president of our structural heart business, and that predominantly was our Watchman business. So I had the chance, Joe Fitzgerald and Mike Mahoney asked me to integrate Atriotech, which was Watchman. And then the last, uh, call it uh, five months, they, they've asked me to see if I can take, call it the $4 billion in acquisitions they've made in electrophysiology, try to tell a story and create an opportunity, I should say, that was similar to our success in Watchmen with electrophysiology, because we've got some great technology. When you look at the AF patient 
and quite frankly, Watchmen or Watchmen Flex, you know, how do we catapult that success into all things we're trying to do with the portfolio? And the portfolio has a lot of things, but the things that really inspire me when I came over here was this Bayless acquisition and the acquisition of Ferripulse. Those are two key leading technologies coupled with Watchmen with everything we offer in the EP space for the electrophysiologist that I think really gathers their attention, their attention, meaning the electrophysiologist to be able to really just understand where we were and where we're going is a completely different space. So that, that inspires me to have this opportunity because I've got a lot of respect for our strategic competitors. They've done a really good job in this space, but my job is to try to make this opportunity all come to life given the investments we've made recently. Well, it's really remarkable how a competitive space has become. You're right. We'll have Dr. Ken Stein of, of your company at, at our Boston Device Talks Boston meeting in May with representatives from uh, Acutus and, and Medtronic. And it seems as if this space is just building and building. What What is it that's sort of driving the, the race? It's almost sort of a, I don't want to say it's an arms race, but a, a, a tools race in this space when it comes to pulse field ablation. Is it just the leveling of technology and innovation that we're getting to a point where there's a good level of, of these tools around to, to give everyone a similar sort of approach to, to treating this? What is it about the space that uh, is bringing so many big players to the table? Well, specifically in electroporation or some of the other tools around ablation? Let's talk about ablation, pulse field ablation. I just It's interesting that you've got Medtronic, you've got Acutus, you've got Boston Scientific all sort of moving into this space. It's becoming very competitive or at least very active. Yeah, well, first of all, there's hundreds of thousands of ablations that are conducted annually. I think the last 10 years, it's been uh, you know, really impressive to see just how ablation has evolved from RF energy modalities to cryo energy modalities. And while the, the outcomes have been good and they've gotten incredibly better, there's opportunity to make it even safer and even more efficient. And that's what electroporation really brings to the table. I mean, the ability to potentially take procedures that could be an hour and a half to two and a half hours, you know, down to an hour or less, uh, in some cases, 40 minutes, mm -hmm. and to do it in a manner that is safer. And then the IDE trials will really talk a little bit about, is it as good or maybe even better? I mean, that's what excites everybody. This is why this field is so exciting because that you never arrive mentality is really indicative of some of the meaningful innovation of Ferripulse. And Ferripulse, Tom, is the only, I'll pitch here for us, the only approved device in the world for electroporation or pulse field ablation. And we've treated over 3,000 patients. And by the end of this year, we'll treat nearly 15,000 patients. We've got a, a substantial lead in this space, what we think could transform ablation, cardiac ablation. It's a great point. So talk a bit about your, your portfolio, all, all that you do have to offer in the space. And, and what are those, those four acquisitions that you spoke of earlier that you're going to meld into a, a unit, an electrophysiology unit? Yeah. When I look about just the AF patient, how do we really try to encompass you know, technology that is meaningful from loop recorders, from the start of the diagnosis, you know, or Preventus, uh, which uh, Scott Olson runs in, in our business. He's a great leader that really has run that business. And there's a lot of opportunity to grow there all the way through to different technologies, whether it's RF energy, we've got our stable point ablation catheter, which basically combines our force sensing with direct sense. You know, direct sense is a proprietary tool to to monitor changes in, in local impedance around the tip of the catheter, which offers physicians, you know, the additional information they need to kind of understand their lesion set. So for years, you know, people have been ablating and lesion sets are becoming more and more important because 
the way you address tissue in ablation to try to really take out that circuit that's creating the arrhythmia. RF has been that energy modality of choice in nearly 80% of ablations. And we've got this, this new stable point catheter that should come to the U.S. market here next year this time. We conducted uh, a trial, the Newton ADAF trial, a clinical trial, which um, should be finishing here very shortly. And our goal is to try to get this to the U.S. market. It's already approved in Japan and in EMEA doing really well. But that takes direct sense and combines force sensing, which we haven't had for a number of years. And I think that was a big gap in our portfolio. Mm-hmm. We've got that stable point coupled with a cryoablation system, PolarX. That's our second generation, I would say, type of uh, a cryoablation system. It's got advantages that I think can really offer today's operator with more flexibility. It's more modern. And it's also going to have a larger size balloon, the polar fit balloon. So we've got we've got an RF energy modality option. We've got a cryo energy modality option. And we equally have electroporation, which I just spoke about with Ferropol. So we're going to have all different energy modalities in our portfolio can really accommodate whatever interests an electrophysiologist would want for their patients. And you couple that with, call it Watchman Flex and Bayless. And we've got a portfolio that I think is is super strong as we try to transform everything electrophysiology in this very competitive space. And you have to be offering a lot of choices if you really want to be a big competitor. And that's what I'm excited about as we move forward. That's great. Well, I want to get into Bayless in a moment, but I'm just curious about the different types of energy. How do physicians sort of choose the energy that they need for a specific procedure? Is it situation-oriented? Is it some physicians prefer this and prefer that? What is the defining characteristic or, or, or the quality that they look for when they choose the energy they're going to use for a specific procedure? Well, I think it really depends on the operator. I think an operator that is truly you know, focused on their capabilities, the point-by-point RF approach and the results that they've seen for quite some time, I mean, that's the standard that most are comfortable with, and they do a really good job with that. I think what we've learned uh, the last, call it five plus years, is from a cryo standpoint, some folks are not only wanting great results, but they're trying to see if they can be more efficient. It can be faster with being able to do something. And, and the cryo does offer some efficiency for PVI isolation. Now, you take those two energy modalities and then you look at electroporation, which I think combines both. And, and that's where I think the field could, could transform. And I think only time will tell once we see some of the, the clinical evidence sometime next year or the year thereafter, that really will convince the field on whether or not this is going to be the energy modality of choice moving forward. So it's exciting. And I think we're learning a lot, uh, but I think the safety associated with uh, how these different energy modalities are progressing will really start to drive the preferred choice, not only for operators, but what patients want. So if, if for example, electroporation or ferropulse is truly safer, I think we live in a world today where patients are much smarter. They're looking things up. You know, they're, they're getting diagnosed with AF and they're not even in the parking lot at their car, you know, looking or Googling what they've been diagnosed with. And they're already getting, call it channeled to some site that educates them on the newest and most advanced things. And I think if we can prove that with electroporation, which the early work seems to really have a signal that this could be safer. Wow. Um, I think it could change everything. So obviously you can sense my passion and excitement because I think it's an opportunity for us. Yeah, no, that sounds great. I didn't realize that I thought this would still be one of those fields where patients just kind of say, do what you want to do, what you think is best doc sort of thing, that, that there wasn't 
that level of differentiation that patients sort of pick up on and latch on to? Well, I think we've seen that. The only reason I speak with confidence on that is we've seen that with Watchmen. You know, we did something different. We ran a TV commercial. I remember presenting that to our board of directors and most kind of felt that that was maybe not going to work. And it was a chance. We took a chance. Uh, Mike Mahoney, our CEO, really allows us to take, you know, real good risks. And that was a good chance that paid off because what we found was it allowed us to at least have the patient learn more about this alternative, Mm -hmm. drive the question for consideration with the referring cardiologist. And today it's one of the fastest growing businesses that we have. Why? Because we think by educating patients on their alternatives to drive a discussion with their physicians starts to open up for other choices that may or may not be better for them. And so times are changing and uh, we're excited to be a part of it. And this is just a really exciting opportunity as we move forward in electrophysiology to do it yet again. So does direct-to-consumer become an avenue for this as well? Is it more well-placed papers and things like that, influencing kind of media? I think time will tell, but my sense is just based on the AF journey, because we've got all of the algorithms to know how to connect with this patient. Uh, Depending on how the, the clinical trials really start to show results, my sense is if they show what we think it's going to show, the data, we could easily follow that same course of action. And I think it's just how do you respectfully educate patients on their alternatives and have the healthcare provider and the patient talk about what's best collectively? Fascinating. Well, let's talk about, uh, about Bayless. Uh, how did, uh, I mean, you, you obviously come to know this story, this, this company. I've learned <laughs> more and more about it preparing for this interview. Really fascinating origins. How did the acquisition sort of come to be? What was the moment where there appeared to be some sort of synergy that you two could act on? Well, first of all, it is an excellent acquisition. The team of people at Bayless and the products, and this has been in the works for over six years. I got a lot of respect for Chris Shaw and Frank Bayless. Um, They've built an incredible company. They've got great people, a great portfolio. And I'm excited because it, it really integrates really well with the Boston Scientific family of products and offering. And it's one of the bigger ones that we've conducted in cardiology the last uh, several years, 1.75 billion. You know, when I look at it, they really integrated with us. Again, I go back to the Watchman journey. Our goal was to do no harm when we were introducing Watchman because it was going up against uh, medications. And we wanted a safe transeptal crossing solution, you know, crossing from the right side of the left side of the heart, which is a really important aspect of a left-sided procedure because you want to make sure when you're working on the left side, you've got the ability to do whatever work you need to, whether it's an ablation, whether it's a watchman implant, or whether it's potentially even a, a mitral procedure that it allows the operator to safely get there and be able to do the work they have to um, in an effective way. And Bayless has the best solution. They're market leader. And their approach to doing this safely really fit well into the Watchman educational journey when we were training operators and partnered with them. And this was something that just inspired us to look further and can we partner together in some other way. And the discussions just really took uh, more meaningful actions over the course of time. And and we were able to work something out with, uh, with Chris and Frank. And I'm really excited because it's a great compliment to everything that we're offering today. What does Bayless's tech and portfolio allow for you to do now and in the future? Well, you know, as I look at it, you know, their culture has played a really important role for us. 
And they're very aligned, you know, and dedicated to, to improving the health and lives of patients around the world. I mean, that's that's our mission. But they've got products that allow us to work not just in the field of ablation, not only in the field of call the left atrial appendage occlusion with Watchmen, but also in structural art valves, you know, being able to, you know, get over to the left side for mitral valve work. We don't have a mitral valve product today, but getting access into that space. And this is a growing space. So there's 750,000 transeptal crossings in the world that are done today. And that number is expected to double over the next five plus years. So for leaders in that space, it's going to present not only the opportunity to complement a lot of different things we're doing for left-sided procedures, which is a really big area for us, but it's going to immediately start to generate some, some profit for us. Um, so the acquisition will add meaningful revenue, operating income, and new R&D capabilities across multiple Boston scientific businesses. So that, that's one thing that comes instantly and expands just, like I said, our lab access to a full suite of just various Boston Scientific EP and uh, structural heart devices, whether it's uh, Watchmen or other things that we're going to offer in the future. There's going to be some workflow enhancements in both the EP and the uh, Watchmen procedures. We'll be able to integrate some of the R&D efforts to have even less exchanges when you're on the left side of the heart, Tom. So these are the things, you know, from a, a clinical standpoint, a development standpoint, a commercial standpoint, overall, that really drives meaningful opportunity for business. And what will a physical integration look like? Are you buying products or are you buying a company? And are you bringing a lot of people over as part of this acquisition? A little bit of everything. I mean, this, this is not your usual acquisition. They're, a, they're just a really buttoned up organization. They've got just great processes and great people. And so it'll be, how do we expand the opportunity? Yeah, you know, so we're going to open up some uh, manufacturing facilities in Costa Rica to expand that capabilities. We'll still have some facilities in Canada that we're going to keep. If we're involved in so many tens of thousands of procedures today, how do we get involved with hundreds of thousands over the course of time, given this is a billion dollar opportunity today, and we want to capture as much of that as possible as it continues to grow. Our distribution channel or our footprint across the globe is much bigger. And we take the success that they've already put into place. And we want to you know, try to drive more distribution channels through our great commercial teams. They've got a great commercial team, but we're going to continue to integrate some of the success that they've already delivered upon and try to just expand that footprint. And some of those people are going to be able to help us in other areas that we're going to represent in the business. So there's a lot of talent there that I think can be used in many ways, a lot of resources that we could continue to use in many ways. And, and there's a lot of learnings that they bring to the table that I think is going to make us better. And that's really the story about Boston Scientific. We're a collection of these companies that has made us who we are today. That's great. And final question, do you have a shopping list? And was this the last item on it? Is it crossed off? Well, you know, the shopping always continues. And uh, <laughs> yeah, be strategic and smart about it. You know, I think Mike Mahoney challenges the organization to make sure that we make the right decisions. This is an exciting one. Um, I can't reveal what we're thinking about or going to talk about next, but I think our challenge is how do we continue to deliver upon the next big acquisition like we did with Bayless? So that's our challenge. We feel good about this one. We've made a number of really good decisions and we want to continue to exemplify that as we move forward. Fantastic. Nick, I really enjoyed talking with you and, and learning about your progress. Can't wait to follow the story going forward. Great. Likewise, Tom. Thanks so much. And I hope this was beneficial for you and your listeners. All right. Well, that is a wrap. Well, Brian Johnson, you're, you're our guest here on Device Talks. You get to go first. Uh, how can folks 
find you or find Mass Medic uh, out there in social media land? Well, first of all, uh, thank you, Tom, and thank you, Chris, and uh, thanks for uh, taking what, what what we built so many years ago and, and keeping it uh, so vital and, and improving upon it. I'm, I'm excited about what you guys uh, are doing. It's been a real honor, man. Absolutely, it's great. To, it's great. To, great to talk to you again. Thank you. Um, you can keep in touch with us through LinkedIn. Uh, we have our own great LinkedIn page at Massmedic, Massmedic.com. Um, we are, uh, those are the two primary ways you can keep in touch with us. I'm not super active on Twitter, but, um, we're going to be doing a lot more really cool social stuff and, uh, just, uh, keep, keep checking in with us. And, and yeah. um, thanks for, thanks for having me. I definitely will. We'll certainly have you back. And Chris Newmarker, where can we uh, find you out there in social media land? Hey, you can find me on LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, just like a new marker. And you can find me on LinkedIn at Newmarker. Always happy to chat with people. And, uh, you know, don't forget all of our sites, and, you know, as well as Mass Device, Medical Design Outsourcing and more. You got to like, follow, subscribe. Absolutely. And I am on Twitter, even though it now belongs to Elon Musk. I'm at MedTechTom. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Are you excited about the edit button, Tom? Are you excited? You're ready to, I'm ready always to get excited about button? an edit button, my friend. <laughs> you know me. <laughs> I've had some 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 near run-ins with some horrible mistakes. Uh, so anything I can do to cover up my tracks, I'm all all in favor of. So. And all of a sudden, you'll be constantly prodded to buy Tesla, like for some reason. You know, you're like drawing blood from a stone on that one. He can he can ask all he wants, but <laughs> that ain't happening. They should sponsor device. Talk. They should. Yes, I should stop talking. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, Tom. Oh, and let's get some Elon money, Tom. Come on, man. You can uh, like, follow, subscribe this podcast, subscribe to the Device Talks podcast channel. You get the Device Talks weekly podcast, Striker Talks, uh, Intuitive Talks, and of course, you can subscribe to Medtronic Talks. It has its own channel. And uh, please do share this podcast episode and uh, make sure that folks out there in Massachusetts and across the world learn about uh, MassMedic and about Device Talks Boston and Device Talks Minnesota. They're all coming up. Device Talks Boston, May 10th and 11th. Device Talks Minnesota on June 6th and 7th. Go to Device Talks. A whirlwind of MedTech networking awesome. You're stepping on my website site. DeviceTalks.com for more information. (laughs) (laughs) That's a wrap. Chris Newmarker, (laughs) thanks for joining us. And Brian Johnson, thanks for creating this whole damn thing. And for uh, for joining us yeah. on the podcast. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. See everybody in just a week or two.